Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 64 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by Clio, online practice management for attorneys at goclio.com. And Carbonite Business, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Business backs up your files automatically and continually, so you're always protected. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with the offer code REPORT, R-E-P-O-R-T. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at MyFirmManager.com slash LTN. In the last podcast, we covered the trends we saw in the 2011 ILTA Inside Legal Survey of Legal Technology. In this episode, we want to take a look at how technology has changed our approach to dealing with disasters and emergency. It's the 10th anniversary of 9-11, and it seems like it's been a summer of earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, fires, power outages, and, and more. Tom, what's our agenda for this episode? Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll discuss using technology to deal with emergencies. In our second segment called Revisiting, we'll talk about the questions, comments, and discussion raised by a previous episode. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our first segment, technology in times of emergency. This has really been a rough summer for a lot of people. Earthquakes and hurricanes on the East Coast, a massive power outage a couple of days ago in the West, massive wildfires here in Texas like I have not seen, I don't know, ever. Uh, it seems that everywhere you look, there's a disaster of some sort. Fortunately, I think we're finding that technology definitely comes in handy in these situations. Dennis, neither of us for, have been, we've been very fortunate in that we have not been directly affected by these recent disasters, but we do know others who have. Want to talk a little bit about how they or others handled emergencies with technology? Yeah, it's been a sort of a wild year. I mean, we've had power outages here, a couple of tornadoes. Uh, tornado hit the uh, St. Louis airport earlier this year. So just a lot happening. I kind of, there's a sort of whole history with uh, blogging, social media, use of technology in uh, in, in times of disaster that uh, I, I think we'll touch on a little bit in this podcast. But um, I always go back to really the most, the, the story that created the biggest impression on me on, on using technology. In, in in a disaster time was was our friend Ernie the attorney during yep. uh, Hurricane uh, uh, Katrina and I just I still it's it's eerie to me remembering the day we got the email from him saying he was evacuating he was on his way out and then it seemed like maybe like eight or ten hours later we got that email from him saying he couldn't get out and he was going to try to you know ride out the storm and and then there were three or four days where we heard nothing from him and we just saw all these terrible images from New Orleans and it was it was really unnerving and and but the thing we found was that uh, you know our friend Adriana Linares was able to to reach him and and stay in touch with him using SMS so even though the the they 
you couldn't get the cellular reception in New Orleans. They found out you could get the text messages out, and and that's it was a real learning experience for me. I it, and I always tell people if you're in a situation you want to try and you can't get the cell the cell connection for whatever reason. People found this, I think, in the East Coast earthquake earlier this year, almost no cell reception. That you can try the the text messaging, and so it's, it's sort of. I think we're gradually in, uh, it's, there's sort of good and bad to this. We have so much practice at it, but we're finding new ways to use technology we're, we're in those situations. And so I think we're sort of seeing a, a change also, Tom. I mean, there's, there's sort of been that traditional area of ways that lawyers and law firms look at disasters, which is the sort of traditional disaster recovery, which I think is really important still. But it seems like there's an evolving piece. It's more personal, and that's about the way that we are connected that we want to stay connected and, and how we really learn about what other people are doing in, uh, in times of emergency and then also what resources are available and how we use social media and other technology tools to, to bring people together and help people out. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that that first tip that you gave about always having something available uh, to be able to send an SMS message, whether it be your phone, whether it be some other device, uh, or, or if you're on the receiving end, if you're waiting for someone who, or, 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 or communicating with someone who is in the heart of a disaster, making sure that you have tools that can receive SMS messages, whether that's your phone or your iPad or, or, or even Google Voice, which can accept SMS text messages. Having that's really important. Uh, I think that, uh, that, that, Dennis, you're absolutely right. The, the way that people are responding, I will talk about disaster recovery and traditional disaster recovery for about two minutes in just a minute, uh, a little bit later. But uh, I think that the way that people are responding these days, technology is making it easier for individuals, whether they're in the heart of it or whether they are observing it, to understand what's going on. I don't see people turning to, although it's certainly there, people turning to uh, uh, CNN or other traditional media to get the information. I think that it just doesn't come fast enough. You know, last uh, During the hurricane, when Irene went up the coast, you had reporters posted in all these very scenic locations where they thought maybe the hurricane might show up. But in the meantime, people are watching and seeing uh, tweets and postings on other social networks uh, from people who are actually in the weather talking about what's going on. And I know you mentioned that there were some issues with the, with the phones in, in, the, in the earthquake. And I, I've read somewhere that, uh, that it is you are more likely to have cell phone problems in an earthquake than a hurricane. So again, keep that in mind. Uh, but uh, it, it, it allows both the people in, in the direct path of the disaster, but also those who are following it to get a good idea of what's going on. I know that when the, the Japanese tsunami came through, just watching the videos that were being posted by the hundreds, by, by people of Japan, were just so heartbreaking. They were better than any, any video that you could have seen from a traditional news outlet. Uh, but, but I think that, that, that having, the right technology can be smart on, on both ends, whether you're in the disaster or not. And, and we're seeing, you and I, before we started recording this, Dennis, we were talking about the applications that are available uh, for people who want to follow or, or protect themselves during disasters. I did a, a quick search and I came up with a couple of apps that we'll put on the show notes page. One is called the Emergency Distress Beacon app, which can send an email out to show your coordinates. It'll take a G GPS snapshot of where you are and let people uh, uh, find you 
if they need to. And that's that's called the Emergency Distress Beacon app for iOS. There's a similar one called Share Your Location uh, for Android users. There's also another app called Disaster Alert, which is available for both Android and Apple users and iOS users, which gives you a list of all the active disasters around the world. And if you are so inclined, you can uh, get updates on disasters every five minutes if you want them. I, I know that social media has changed the face of how we look at and respond to disasters. Dennis, any other uh, tips you have for kind of practical learning about uh, emergencies? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'm going to mention one of the things in my parting shot, actually, but there's there's a ton of useful information out there. And, and uh, like you, I was I was in the iTunes store last night looking at apps, and I just realized that this, this smartphones have just become a platform that um, really makes these devices just incredible things to carry with you. So last night, I down, I found these free, like a free police scanner app, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that, so if you're ever in a situation when you you're out of power, which seems to happen um, in St. Louis. I, we, we had one stretch here a few years ago, six days out another day in the summer, and then another time four days out in the winter. And um, once you're without power, you, you realize that technology is a fragile thing, because when the power goes out, you, you know, I mean, that's the sort of the great thing about smartphones, because you now can get on the internet, you know, through your iPhone or Android. But uh, once the power goes out, you don't, you have no TV, you have no internet, you have no nothing. And and you're and and you're on battery, and you have a limited amount of time. And when you're out for multiple days, um, that can be a, an issue. So, I, I was just struck by all these different apps. So you can, you know, from the simple flashlight app uh, to, uh, you know, disaster preparedness, uh, you know, first aid uh, apps, all all these different lots of information that you can put onto a smartphone. And then when you're in that situation without power, that's that's all available to you. And like you said, there are ways to find, help people find you, uh, to get you information, to learn what's going on. Uh, and and I think that's really helpful because when you're just watching, even when I had power during recent tornadoes and I was watching local news, I wasn't sure I was getting the best information. I found myself turning to Twitter pretty quickly to to try to get a better feel for what was going on out there. Yeah, I am. Um, when we talk about power being out, we're not going to try to, I think, make this a podcast about uh, uh, about practical ways to protect yourself in an emergency. But I will say that if you were trying to protect your technology or uh, or or keep the power with your technology, I will recommend one one tool that I've been using here for a couple of months now. Um, and it's called a Zag Spark. It's from Zag.com. So if you go to Z-A-G-G.com and look for the Zag Spark, it's spelled S-P-A-R-Q. We'll put a, a, a mention in the show notes. Uh, it will, uh, you have to charge it for quite a while first, nine hours, but then it provides four full charges for your iPhone, for your iDevice. Uh, it char- it only provides about 60% for your iPad, so choose carefully before you drain the battery. But if you do have a power outage and your iPhone is the only uh, connection that you have with the outside world, uh, uh, given the fact that an iPhone charge will last you somewhere around most of the day if you use it wisely, you can get four full days out of it if you need to. So it's a good a good investment to have and, and keep charged up in case you need to to charge that or your iPad at some point in time. I think it's $99, so it's not an incredibly expensive tool to get. Uh, 
I will say that in terms of very practical learning, though, go to other resources. The Red Cross has got a great a great website for learning about things. And then another site that I found called 72hours.org, and it's 72hours.org. Again, we'll put the link on the show notes. Uh, allows you to make your own disaster plan from areas for home safety, children, pets, food, water, uh, first aid, volunteering, what to do if certain events occur. It's a great resource for sort of learning how to respond. I'm going to take the last part of my time and make a traditional legal technology argument to make sure that all of you have a disaster recovery or business continuity plan for your practice. The most recent legal technology research uh, resource center from the ABA, their report, their 2011 survey shows that 25% of the people responded still do not have a business continuity plan and 15% don't know. And I'm going to basically say that they probably don't if they don't know. Uh, so uh, between 30 and 40% of the lawyers out there still don't have a way to recover from a business uh, interruption, whether it's a disaster, whether it's not a disaster, whether it's just a, a power outage or something like that. Uh, make sure that you have that plan. It can be just a checklist for getting back to business after an interruption. Uh, it needs to include offsite redundant backup er uh, backups for your day either in the cloud or somewhere else, but you need to have those redundant backups. Make sure that you're not backing up or using backup tapes for archiving uh, and, and, and for your disaster recovery. It should only be there for disaster recovery purposes uh, and not six or seven or nine months worth of, of data. They should be about 30 days of data on there to be uh, to be absolutely safe that you recover everything you need. Uh, and then the final tip is to make sure you test your plan to make sure it's going to work. Uh, I'm going to post to the show notes a great issue of Law Practice Today that we uh, featured back in April on disaster planning and, and some other issues other than just technology. And then there is another great page at the Legal Technology Resource Center with lots and lots of links to information on disaster recovery planning. Dennis, want to take us out of this segment with uh, your final thoughts on this? Yeah, I just think this is, um, you know, such a rich, such a rich topic, and so much has happened, and technology can do so much, and and there is a personal element, and uh, when you think of disaster plan, I think of this personal aspect become more important. So you can be, you know, a lot of firms focus on their documents and how to get documents back, and you know that sort of thing, but basically you want to get in touch with people, you want to reconnect with people, you want to know that people are safe, and and, and technology really allows you to do that. There's a lot that's happening in Twitter. That's sort of the go-to place for me. So much has happened over the years. You can see the evolution of Twitter from uh, where people first start to report about what they're seeing and what's happening to, for me, a big one was Hurricane Ike, where really the, the hashtag in Twitter came into play. You know, People like Home Depot were, were, were using Twitter to say, here's a store that's open that has generators, that has ice. And, and people also saying, we have power in this zip code, that sort of thing. So you can become your own little sensor node in yep. a way during a disaster to to help people know what's happening. Um, and then the evolution through, uh, especially Haiti and Japan, Haiti was just such a huge thing.
thing because his self-organization happened to really bring the follow-up relief and to connect people together using the, especially social media tools in, in just an amazing and uh, for me an inspiring way as, as you've watched all this developed as people say, hey, you know, Twitter is about posting about your lunch. Well, there's some amazing things, absolutely amazing things happen with people helping people, instant donations, those sorts of things. Uh, a little bit of two ways, uh, sort. I want to mention there's something I saw a tweet that I really loved during, uh, I think it was uh, the earthquake, where they said Twitter is the leading source for during a disaster for accurate news inaccurate news and inappropriate <laughs> humor. And that's really okay. So you got to sift through this, all this information, but I think in the times of an emergency, when you're even when it's just you're without power, you realize the importance of technology as being a communications and a connecting tool. And that's so different now. And so I think if you focus in these times of how you can use technology in those ways, look at the smartphone as a platform. Um, the things I just put on my iPhone, I, th I think would be amazing in an emergency. And then think about your role, even using your video camera or taking pictures and posting them as a as citizen media or even a sense a little sensor node uh, to help other people or, or to help the government agencies or the other people trying to help people to let them know what's going on it's, a, it's an amazing thing out there and there's a, a lot that can be comp accomplished and so much has changed in the last few years it's a really exciting area um, you know Tom I, we sort of talked about whether this is legal technology or not but I think it is um, because it's something that we all face in a very personal way well, I'll uh, I'll have I'll agree that this is something we all face and something that we need to know about. I'm still out a little bit on whether it's legal technology, but uh, we'll we'll save that for another day. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors: Clio, Carbonite Business, and Firm Manager by LexisNexis. <laughs> Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them the ability to get their work done from anywhere whether it's at their office at the courthouse at home or even if they're on vacation they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important well, with cloud-based software you can access your data and software from your iphone or your ipad uh, your blackberry uh, and other mobile devices so for the uh, lawyers that are on the move which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Backing up your business files can be a hassle, and it's hard to know if you're doing it right. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Business Online Backup. With Carbonite Business, your files are backed up automatically and continually. They're stored safely off-site. And each employee can access their backed-up files privately on any computer or on their smartphone or iPad. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code REPORT. That's Carbonite.com. Offer code REPORT. 
Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we'll be doing another round of revisiting, where we go back to the main topic of the prior episode and talk about questions, discussion, and the like that we, we saw arise out of that, that episode. Last time we took a close look at the 2011 ILTA Inside Legal Technology Survey of, of what the sort of medium to large size law firms are doing. One of the interesting things that, that came out of that, or I guess one of the qu- interesting questions in the discussion around that survey and some other surveys that come out is the question of whether IT or IT departments are forcing technology choices for lawyers these days, or whether lawyers are actually keeping IT from bringing in new technologies. You can kind of get hear both sides of, of, of that debate. Um, Tom, some thoughts on that that question? Well, I, I'm I'm a little mystified by the question, frankly, because I think that I think that the first part, whether IT is forcing technology choices for lawyers, I guess I'm not mystified by that part because that's generally been uh, the the thinking that IT has been in control. And I think that that if you look at the survey results this year, you will see that most technology choices are being made by IT. Although, frankly, most of the choices that are being made in the survey, as we talked about on the podcast, I think are the general things that you would want IT to make decisions about. I think they're recycling a lot of their, their uh, you know, going through and, and getting new inventory of their computers and their hardware and their servers. And those are things that you want IT to be able to do without talking to the lawyers about it. It's the second part that I think I have a little trouble with, where where lawyers are keeping IT from being, bringing in new technology. And, and I think that there may have been a time, and there may still be firm Terms. Uh, I, I don't know that I would would put them in the medium to large size area, but it's possible um, that that uh, that are are where the lawyers are actually keeping IT from bringing in new technology. I think to the contrary, we're seeing, especially when you talk about smartphones, when you talk about iPads, uh, you're seeing what has been called in many circles as the consumerization of IT, where IT is not calling the shots anymore, where the lawyers are bringing 
bringing in uh, their own iPhones or Android devices or iPads and basically saying, make it work. Make it work with what you have. And I, from what I understand, IT is doing their best to, to do that in most places. Uh, I think... I think that you're still going to have firms that aren't up on technology that don't have it. I don't know that that's solely a, uh, the, 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 the position of lawyers, that lawyers are keeping them from doing that. You will have some technophobic lawyers in places, and, and, and I think that may have an effect. But I think in general, lawyers these days are starting to catch up with it and are, are requesting rather than, rather than shunning new types of technology. Dennis, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I come out on the opposite side of that a, a bit. I mean, I think there are pockets of 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 each, but but I think that you sometimes find where uh, the IT people are saying, "What can we do to really help our our lawyers?" Because that's who we're here for. I, I've heard people ask that question a lot, and they look at things. They look like contract management, knowledge management. You know, some of these really innovative things, um, and they don't get traction. From from lawyers or people say, look, we 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 tried this stuff a long time ago. Uh, we don't want to do that. We don't understand the need to do, say, document assembly, something like that. And so I, I think that um, th- there was so, some negativity. So it's sort of like a you know, one of these coevolution things where sort of the reaction of because you know lawyers and IT don't. Speak talk that well together, that one side is making this assumption, especially after periods of years where you go like, oh, they're not going to be interested in this. Oh, they're not going to let us do that. You know, that sort of thing. There's no money for this. You know, that sort of thing. And it sort of spirals on itself. And I don't know that people have kind of stepped back at some point to say, okay, here's where we are. We're a couple versions down in this. Does it make sense to continue to, you know, to go that route or do we try something new? And so I think you have some pockets like smart phones and stuff like that. And the way are easy wins and actually accomplish a lot. But I think there's some other things where you sort of say, you know, we're sticking to our knitting, big focus on infrastructure and, you know, the network, uh, you know, remote computing, that that sort of thing. Um, but sort of less so on the things that might be kind of transformative technologies. And I, and I get the feeling that it's... Uh, the both sides aren't really communicating what they want. And in part, because uh, you do find that, especially, we didn't go to ILTA this year, Tom, but I know at ILTA, I'm always running into these IT people who are who really want to help their lawyers and help their, their law firms with technology. And they're looking for great new ideas to take back. And and I don't feel they get traction. And they get, and they get a little discouraged about that. So um, I, I, I think I come out slightly on the opposite side of you, but there's an interesting dynamic there that, Maybe it makes sense at some firms to kind of say, let's let's stop for a minute and like get everybody in the same room and and kind of look at things with new eyes and kind of talk about where we want to go. No, I agree. I, I think that I, th- I think that there are firms that it act exactly the way you are describing, Dennis. I, I think that my point is that we are seeing a trend, whether it's a small trend or a large trend, we will see I, hopefully in next year's ILTA survey uh, of lawyers beginning to take more control in technology decisions and purchasing. And now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, I, my parting shot uh, is to sh- tell you how happy I am that I have finally been able to find something for my iPad that that, that 
justifies the original reason why I got it. When I when I first got it, I thought I can now ditch my legal pad when I go to meetings. I can now ditch my notepad and and and, and my uh, notebook that I don't have to write and take notes anymore. I can do it all on the iPad. And I promptly bought a stylus and tried probably ten different note taking apps and just suffered through them. And and I I think I wrote in my book and I've told everybody else that I just can't do it. It's just I don't write well enough. These apps aren't good enough. So I gave up and I just got a keyboard and started typing. Well, that day has ended now. I have now found, thanks to, and a big shout out to Brett Burney for the shout out uh, for the post on his blog uh, about this app. It is the Note Shelf app. It is the best note taking app that I've seen. It allows you to do things in a bunch of different ways. And best of all, it then lets you export your notes to either Evernote or Dropbox. I use both, so I get to choose and that's nice. And then I'm also using the Bamboo Stylus by a company called either Wacom or Wacom, W-A-C-O-M. We'll put notes on the uh, links on the show note page. It is probably the best stylus I've ever used because the point is smaller and because it feels more like a real pen. It has real heft and weight. So uh, I'm, I'm going to actually try a new stylus out in a couple of weeks here when it arrives. But right now, I th- thoroughly recommend the uh, the Wacom, Wacom Bamboo Stylus as well as the Note Shelf app. Dennis. Well, note that the Bamboo Stylus is on my Amazon wish list. Uh, although, as you know, <laughs> I, I have great loyalty to the Note Taker uh, uh, HD app. So um uh, but I'm interested in in the different approaches because I, I think one people may find that one really fits them well. So my parting shots, two of them as well. Uh, first is uh, as people probably know, I I love listening to podcasts and learning from podcasts, maybe even more than doing podcasts. And so I got the chance recently to uh, to be the guest on uh, Rodney Dowell's Unbillable Hour podcast, also on the Legal Talk Network, and got the chance to talk about my approach to listening to podcasts. And so I share a lot of my ideas about podcasts and how lawyers can use them and and some of my best tips. So um, uh, Rodney, I did, Rodney, I just had great fun doing that podcast. So I recommend that. And then in the, in the theme of the, of this episode, uh, probably that, you know, Tom, you mentioned some good ones too, but it, the, the one I found is uh, www.ready.gov, which is, I think in the intent is for the U S government to have that sort of portal to get into a lot of the emergency management yep. uh, inf- information. You can find state resources, you know, lot, lots of different things in the emergency preparedness way. So as always, you know, you hope you never have to use this stuff. Uh, but, you know, uh, as the, the son of a, a former volunteer fireman and the brother of a current volunteer fireman, this is, you know, it's just part of my nature to, to say, hey, we got to be prepared for things. Well, I've said this for a number of years that I think the federal government has some of the best resources out on the internet and ready.gov is is no exception. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. The inf- information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, and there's a lot of them, is available on our newly renovated show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Don't wait for an emergency to subscribe to this podcast. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.